0: Welcome to Holding Center, a podcast created to help you own and hold center stage, not only on show day, but also in your life. I'm your host, Ashley Markham, owner of Myo Strength. and joined with me is my co-host, Ashley Spoker, owner of b Fit. Let's hold center. Yo, Spilk, what's up? I, I'm digging the high pony, the half high pony. Where's the all up? No, it's half. No, oh, it's half high. It's half high. Thanks. I wish I, did- I was half high right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. You gotta be so high. Full blown. Um, but thank you. Yeah. I did this yesterday at the gym and I felt like a, like really cool. So I decided to do it again today. Um, but yeah, how are you? How are you doing? I'm okay. I'm okay. Like we got word that Eric's, um, granny passed away, but you know what? She was 99 years old. Um, she outlived her husband and so she's reunited with the love of her life and also one of her sons that passed away at a young age. And so although she is, you know, superseded by her sons and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, she is no longer in pain. And for that, I'm grateful. And so Eric and I are going to try to figure out how we can celebrate her life and celebrate, you know, the wonderful matriarch legacy that she left and try to make it as positive as possible but i do know that my father-in-law is having a very hard time and so i'm just kind of thinking of him and trying to love on him the best way that i know how. Yeah, I'm so i'm so sorry, you know, it's never never easy when a yeah. loved one dies. So my condolences. Sending you guys lots and lots of love and and prayer and and hugs from from afar. No, i appreciate that. I appreciate that greatly. Now he she like i said, she lived a very very full life and you know, Eric was like at work and he was like, "Yeah, i think i'm just going to take a half day." And i was like, Motherfucker, just take the day. Like take the day off to, right. to mourn and to celebrate her life. And so he's a silly Billy, but I love him dearly. But he is doing good. And we do appreciate your thoughts and prayers. But enough about me. I want to introduce our special guest. I've been wanting to have him on the podcast and really just speak to him for a really long time. Like I feel like since December of twenty twenty two, I think, is when I really wanted to have him on. Um and so we have freaking Braden Miller from Team Miller Elite on with us. And before I like let him kind of talk about who he is and how he developed this awesome team, I kind of want to tell Braden, I want to tell you a very special story. And the story has to do with your athlete Nikki, the one I'm who excited turned and I'm
1: excited and nervous.
0: Yeah, no, it, it, I promise you, it's a good story. So the the um, story is about your athlete Nikki the girl who turned pro um, at NPC North Americans in 2022. So she was in class, I want to say C or D
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and it was the blue division suit. Right. And the reason why I was specifically watching, watching this division is because one of my friends, um, Sammy was competing in that division. And then also another one of my friends athletes was also in that same division. And unfortunately I missed the the first round of comparisons because I was either taking a piss or getting food and, I finally was watching the individual routines and I saw Sammy and I was really proud of her. She looked great. And then this girl with a blue suit, as blue as the ocean, with like almost jet black hair, walks out. And I looked at her and I was like, that girl is going to either win the overall, like I knew she was winning her class. I was mm-hmm. like, that girl is going to win her class and she's going to go to the overall. And that girl was Nikki. And mm-hmm. I know, I mean, I didn't even need to see her do her front pose. This girl was still walking to center stage. And I just, by looking at her, I was like, she's it. She's it. Right? And I know that, Nikki, for you, it was very stressful because you were on your way to your honeymoon in Greece. Holy and I, <laughs> I couldn't even imagine. But I just, I one look at her before she even got in her front pose. Then when she did her front pose and did her routine, I was like, i out. I just knew. I just knew.
1: Yeah, that was uh <clears throat> that was probably the most stressful time I have maybe ever experienced. And I've been through some shit. Um, you know how it is. I mean, we care a lot, right? And I pride myself on the level of care I provide with my athletes and I have for my athletes. And Nikki and I go back a long ways, actually. There's some some background there with a lot of people might not even know about. So my wife actually grew up with Nikki. And lived like right around the corner from her. So my wife's little brother was best friends with Nikki's little brother. So I didn't know Nikki for like ever. I didn't know her even when I was coaching. And then I think it's three years ago now, maybe even four, um, her and Allie, her husband had hit me up and they wanted to switch coaches and and work with me. So I was Mm -hmm. super excited and we got the chance and we did our first show together and I learned a lot about her. And honestly, she won an overall at a regional show, but Mm -hmm. She wasn't good. I look back at it and I'm like, what the fuck did I do to you here? Um, So I learned a lot about her body and I told her, like, we need to take the year off. We're not going to a national show. We need to take a year to grow and we'll (laughs) put our hat in the ring next year. So we did did exactly that. And uh, like I said, I mean, we saw some success last year. But fast forward to North Americans. We were coming off a win at Vancouver Pro and she just got edged out in the overall. And in Canada, Pro cards are very hard to come by. You have to win. You have to win the overall and they have one pro card. So they don't give out pro cards per division in the class or anything like that. It's one pro card per show per division for the overall. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was like apples to oranges with her and another girl. Honestly, both were so good. Both had pro physiques and she got edged out. So that was kind of a blow, but I was like, this is the year. I promise you we're going to get it. We got to go into an international show, toss our hat in the ring and kind of see where we're at. So we decided on North Americans, I believe it was six weeks after or eight weeks after Mm -hmm. Vancouver um so she was in shape and I mean I pushed her a little bit harder but it was allowed to refeed her and stuff and by the time we got to North Americans the craziest shit was happening like I was feeding her 300 grams of rice per meal five times a day Holy she, shit. Was getting, she was getting harder and harder and harder and I'm like yo this can't happen right now like and I even look back at <laughs> pictures and I'm like fuck she was like hard as nails and oh, I, I wanted her a little softer than that but I was doing everything I was playing with water I was playing with salt I was playing with food and it was just like nothing was fucking softening her up a little bit it was the craziest shit ever so I'm already like pretty stressed meanwhile like you had said they changed the day of bikini so I was actually going to go and then I was going to fly home red eye and then get on a flight and leave on my honeymoon with my wife um but they had changed the day I believe it was from I can't remember like Tuesday to Friday for bikini or something like that I can't remember which day of the week and uh, they changed it to the day that I was leaving on my honeymoon and I said to Nikki I'm like I actually literally can't be there there's no way and I can't my honeymoon trips paid for everything and I'm not doing that Mm -hmm. I'll be I'll be able to do it I mean I've peaked a lot of people uh via FaceTime and stuff like that and I know her like the back of a book so same thing we get her i'm watching pre-judging i'm we're facetiming i have to go to the airport i'm literally watching her on stage and pre-judging on my phone while i'm in a car on the way to the airport and sure enough she finishes in the center we're super pumped i get through security i'm like have all these people i was with one of my best friends we kind of did a combined honeymoon with him and his wife too so they were helping me with bags and everything and i'm just like fucking dead set on my phone so i end up getting sitting down in a lounge and talking to her and, and go have a phone call with her. And she's super excited, but I'm like, hey, we need to bring this thing home now. <laughs> so sure enough, uh, night show rolls around and I'm on the flight now. And I had paid for like some upgraded Wi-Fi where I could stream and it was, it was great. So I'm like, fuck, this is gonna yeah. be so easy. I can communicate with her. I can stream her face. Like I can do everything that I need to do right now. And uh, all of a sudden she's about 20 minutes pre-stage And an announcement comes on the TV and it's like, we're about to get above the Arctic circle. All Wi-Fi will be disconnected. And I'm like, oh shit, I got to give Nikki a warning here. I need one more round of pictures. I got to talk to her husband, Ali, and tell him to do this. If this happens X, Y, and Z. And sure enough, I go to send that message. And like, when it said it's going to cut out, it meant like it cut out. So my messages didn't send. So 20 minutes pre-stage, Nikki doesn't hear from me. I haven't responded to her last round of photos. They probably show red on her end. And I am freaking the fuck out. So I'm like, okay, figure this out. Like maybe it's going to come back on just hopefully in the next few minutes just to send this message through or whatever. Sure enough, does not happen. Um, so our flight was a red eye. So I'm freaking out. I'm going to expose myself a little here with some, some shit that I did. But uh, I had a weed pen and we're flying from... Edmonton to Amsterdam from Amsterdam to Greece. And I, at the time I had been, I basically used my weed pen to sleep. And like my anxiety is through the roof right now, the whole fucking planes asleep. And I'm sitting there vibrating, like freaking out. So I'm like, fuck, I need to just pass out to deal with this. So I go under a little blanket and I have my little weed pen. Obviously don't recommend anybody smokes dope on a plane, don't <laughs> hold this against me. <laughs> so I kind of go under a blanket and, and I take a couple little hoots of this thing. Cause I'm like, Mac. I'm talking, I'm anxious through the roof. So I'm like, this will take the edge off. I'll just pass out. It's all good. So I take a couple hoots of this thing. Don't ever do that while you're that high in altitude. Let me tell you, <laughs> you get 10 times more fucked up than you'll ever get fucked up ever. So now I go from being a little bit anxious To being so screwed up that if I close my eyes, I think I'm going to puke on the floor. So I'm sitting there. My wife's asleep. My best friend and his wife are asleep. The entire plane's asleep. And I'm staring dead set ahead at the front of my seat. Cannot close my eyes. Having the worst time of my life. For like three hours until I finally did pass out. We never ended up getting reception back until we landed on the ground in Amsterdam. So I had no idea that entire flight what happened with Nikki. And then obviously when I landed, my phone blew up, like completely blew up. And I was just like, I just felt like a wave leave me and Nikki was freaking out. So that was one of the craziest but coolest experiences of my life because I landed and she had one and it was just like, thank God. But yeah, I highly don't don't recommend that to anybody because... I didn't know if I was making it through that flight, to be honest with you.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God. What a wild, wild story. Have you told anyone besides like your close, like peeps that story before?
1: Not the not the pulling on the pen part, (laughs) because it's not something I'm super proud of. But at the end of the day, again, I was like, I was freaking out. Like I said, I'm I'm a person who cares a lot. Mm -hmm. And I do carry a decent amount of stress. And like, this was next level. It's like, I don't know, the feeling of not actually being able to help somebody if they need you. Mm-hmm. that shit sucks and I was freaking yeah. out because I'm like literally this could be the difference between a pro card and not a pro card right now this 20 minutes could be the difference mm-hmm. and uh, luckily we had her good enough and she's confident enough she's a good enough athlete she knew exactly what to do we've done it that was our third mm-hmm. dance together now she knows what my protocols are what I would yeah. do if things happened and and luckily nothing went sour she held the look went on stage rocked it and it was super I was very very happy oh, yeah. with her look. like I said I mean for me, I always go back and look at things, and she's she's an athlete through to her core. So she loves getting fucking peeled, and I'm like, yeah. okay, but <laughs> we got to pump the brakes a little bit because I can I can get you peeled, but we're gonna have to put you on stage in women's physique. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was, uh, but she, she's a, she's a hell of an athlete, and like I said, I mean, in my heart, I knew we'd probably pull it off. But that little bit of uncertainty, that was just horrible. But yeah, no, you guys are the first ones to hear that publicly. So
0: I love it. Holding Center exclusive. But no, but thank you for letting me share that story. Because I'm sure like, you know, you have your own experience. Nikki's had hers. I'm sure other people have experienced and told you their story. But like, obviously, I didn't know who the fuck you were before Nikki. But I mm-hmm. saw her and I was like, whoever that coach is, nailed it. Like they, like the synergy that you had with her, that what you're able to do with her, just an entire look. I was like... She's an athlete and whoever her coach is, they work together. So I wanted to share that with you. Cause like I said, I had that. no idea who the fuck you were until her. And I was like, I was so pumped I for her too. That. I like, yeah, of course. I'm so fucking pumped. I was like next to my house and I was like, that's it. She's yeah, it.
1: You called it. You called it. And, called it
0: and about, she ended up doing you know, really well at her pro debut,
1: right? Correct me if I'm wrong. Six, yeah, she right? did. So she, we hopped, right? She was hell bent on doing a pro debut. And I was like, all right, let's do it. So she hopped into a show. I think there was three Olympians in it, and she ended up getting first call out. She finished in uh, sixth place. And honestly, physique-wise, I think she she had a bit of an edge to sit a little higher. And I, again, I go in with that. I'm not the guy that sits there and says, you deserve better. But mm-hmm. we know where the mistakes were. And honestly, the biggest mistake was within posing. Uh, she had switched mm. posing coaches. Uh-huh. Uh, I believe it was four weeks out or six weeks out and they yeah. just didn't have enough time together to get and that show was very rushed so her stage time was actually 15 seconds less than she had thought so she had to change her routine as she was on stage mm. uh, so there was just a lot of different things that had happened but like i said i mean she the top 3 were all olympians she got 6th so that was really cool and i mean i know we can do yeah. some pretty special stuff with her in the long term so yeah that was uh i was very very happy with that she had a really cool experience getting to meet all the pros and just experienced that so it was uh, it was a pretty cool experience for sure. That's awesome
0: that's so awesome well let's dive into you kind of give us a little bit you already gave us a little you know holding center exclusive we really appreciate that but who is Braden Miller and how and why did you want to create Team Miller Elite?
1: Well so yeah I mean I was uh, I grew up in playing athletics my entire life I played hockey for as long as I can remember I played I moved away at 18 to play junior hockey and then I ended up getting a scholarship and I played university hockey for two and a half years and kind of bodybuilding had entered my life at that point. I'll give you a very brief overview but when I was basically leaving high school and coming out of playing like I don't want to call it recreational because it was definitely like higher level uh, youth sports. um, I had hired a trainer because I had been scouted to go to some camps and I wasn't the most skilled kid. I I was just a hard-working kid that had let's be honest. I mean, I, I could bang bodies and as a in a hockey, I was definitely, I could fight that kind of stuff. So for me to go play hockey with like 20 year olds and stuff and, and bigger kids, I had to get in shape and, and change my life in that sense. I was a young kid. I partied that kind of stuff. So it was like, okay, time to grow up a little bit and then put your, your athletics first if you want to go somewhere with it. So I hired, uh, I hired a coach. He was an ex Olympic sprinter. Um, so we did a lot of strength training. He helped me with my diet and I trained with him all summer. And I completely changed who I was. I was way faster, way stronger, way leaner. I went to my camp to try out for the hockey team, the junior team. And I absolutely torched everybody in the fitness tests. I was a completely different hockey player. So it literally changed my life. And that was the first time, like I love training, but it was totally different. Whereas this time I like poured my heart and soul into it. And I was like, holy shit, look what that did for me. And then I ended up making the team um, strictly, like I said, just based on on hard work and stuff like that. Cause I wasn't a skilled guy. Um, so that was really cool to me. And that's kind of where I dove into like personal training. I mean, I was an 18 year old kid moved away from home. My housing was paid for basically wasn't doing much. I just, my expectations were to be at the rink for practice every day. And on weekends we had games. I had to go for runs in the morning with the team. That was it. So a lot of my, I mean, we did a lot of gaming and stuff like that, but I kind of took it a step further and I started doing some online, like personal trainer courses and whatnot. And then that kind of led me into helping some friends and family and stuff for free. I took a knack for it and that kind of just snowballed. And once I had gotten my um, into university and had a scholarship there, I got to a place where I had kind of taken that knowledge that I was getting. And I, like a lot of people was on bodybuilding.com left, right, and center. And I was trying all these different programs and stuff. And I got to a point with hockey where I was a captain on my team when I was playing university hockey. And it was like, I was babysitter. Kids were still just drinking and partying all the time. And I was, that was well past me at this point i cared a little bit more about the hockey and just my life um mm-hmm. so i ended up quitting halfway through the season i told my coach like listen i just can't do this anymore and that was like a big piece of my life right it was all of a sudden i have all this free time mm-hmm. um so i needed something to fill the gap and i just let training fill that gap for me because i loved it and i already kind of already been on that path and i was training with one of my buddies who ended up hiring a coach and, and doing a men's physique competition. So he was my training partner. We trained together all the time. I went down to watch his show and he did very well. He won and that was his first year competing. He went all the way to nationals and got second at nationals in men's physique. And like wow. he, was, he was built for it. It was pretty crazy. But I looked at this when I went to that show, I was like, this is what I'm going to do. And within a week, I hired the same coach as him and I had committed to doing a show and I ended up doing my first show um, that year in, I believe that was 20, 2016 uh this was the end of 2015 where i hired him i competed in 2016 uh saw some success i ended up winning light heavyweights and went i basically won at a region level we had three tiers of shows here back then so i went regional show went to provincials um i won the light heavyweights at provincials as well so i was like okay i'm a national athlete now in my first year of competing and i like you know how people are i didn't realize the level of of athlete at that national level but either way i i decided not to do it i was like okay hey, i'm mm-hmm. i got something here i'm going to take the year off i'm going to grow uh which i did and then i went to nationals the next year and and for me my goal was kind of top 10 just because i knew the level of athletes that were there and i ended up getting seventh place and i was pissed i was like well mm-hmm. you accomplished your goal but it was like no man that's not what you want you want that number one yeah. so that year i changed coaches um and I, I fully became obsessed with bodybuilding. And honestly, I would say in kind of a toxic way, but I mean, at the end of the day, there's, you look at the best people in the world, right? Balance doesn't really exist for some of them. And I'm not going to sit here and say that's healthy, but I had a goal and nothing was going to stop me from accomplishing that goal, except for the thing that happened, which I'll share in a moment. So, and I don't even know if you guys know this, but. Um,
0: I don't. So fast
1: forward. I don't. Fast, <laughs> fast forward to 2017. Um, I'm the best bodybuilder I've ever been. I was my previous off seasons. I had gotten to about 230 pounds, but I was like soft 230. Um, I was 250 pounds with abs in 2017, and like completely different bodybuilder. And long story short, I was at the gym with my coach, who was also my my friend, and it was only us in the gym. I went to do a set of back squats. And we were just doing warm up. I think I was warming up. Actually, I know I was warming up. There's a video with 405 and I just did a, a warm up set, my last warm up set. And I got super lightheaded. I was using a little bit of insulin and some GH at the time. So we're like, you know what? Maybe it's, it's blood sugar. And so I, and I kind of felt like that, like the little woozy feeling. So I went and he grabbed me a Gatorade, slammed it, sat there for another five minutes. I'm like, oh, we're, we're chilling. I'm good. I feel great. Okay, I'm gonna to touch this one more time for another warm-up and then we're gonna party. So I do end up doing that one second warmup set. couple reps, rack the bar. I go to walk away from the bar and I collapsed. I just dropped out, collapsed on my knees. Um, long story short, so what had happened was I actually had a spontaneously dissected my aorta. So I split you. my I split my aorta into a V. Um, oh. So I basically dropped to the ground. I won't get too in detail if you ever want to have a week. I could literally talk about that whole experience for two hours, but I was, I ended up going about 15 minutes without oxygen. So um, they had to walk through the, the, at the gym I was training at at the time, there was the owner's 75 year old mom actually ran the gym. She was the one who was there. She had no idea how to do CPR. And my buddy who was my coach at the time actually went into shock. So he kind of just stood there and didn't do anything. So I was laying on the floor legitimately, they said for over 15 minutes without anything being done. And then they called an, uh, the ambulance and they walked them through the 75 year old started giving me chest compressions and everything. Um, by the time the ambulance had showed up, they intubated me on the gym floor or wheeling me out, got me there. Um, and yeah, I, I basically was in a coma for four days. Um, I was in the hospital for 10 weeks. They ended up figuring out that I had a spontaneously dissected aorta. They don't know whether that happened first or the blood clot came first because I had a blood clot as well. I mean, what came first, the chicken or the egg? I mean, for me, it's pretty simple. You split something open, you're going to bleed. The blood clot probably formed at that point. No way to know. So through all of this stuff, I learned that I had a genetic kind of predisposition to this. Both my grandfathers had aortic aneurysms. So my, my family has... Um, like weak aortas per se. And it was obviously walking around at 250 pounds, deadlifting 500 plus pounds, back squatting the same amount, like that's not healthy. But a lot of people wanted to point fingers to drugs. And I was never abusive with drugs. The fact of the matter was, I, I literally wasn't I had only ran. I started my first cycle was the end of 2015. Mm-hmm. And this was the middle of 2017. So I had used PEDs for about a year and a half. And I was I had just started my first cruise phase. I was the guy who came off completely and would go back on. Like I was not abusive at all. Yes. I mean, during my contest, perhaps my drugs did get high for sure, higher than I would take somebody early on in an exposure, but Mm -hmm. my drugs only got, I believe the highest they got at that time was like 1.2 grams, which is not super crazy a guy Mm -hmm. that's 250 pounds right and at the time of this happening i was actually cruising and i was that year i was planning on doing the arnold classic so i was like eight weeks into my first cruise ever on actual trt um so yeah that was pretty crazy i went from 250 pounds to 196 pounds in the hospital in 10 weeks um looking at myself in the mirror was one of the hardest things i've ever done when i got out of that hospital but you know what it's uh there's a lot of pieces of it that are pretty crazy there's so I'll, I'll give you one more piece and then we can get into our topic. But um, usually when, when somebody kind of flatlines, they'll, and the paramedics show up, they'll use the paddles to bring them back like three times. And then at that point, they just kind of call it like mutilating, a mutilating a deceased body. And they're not going to keep hitting you over and over again. For some reason on that day, they did it three times. I didn't come back. The paramedics looked at each other and said, we got to go one more time. And they did it a fourth time. The fourth time was actually what brought me back to life and got my heart beating again. Um, so pretty, pretty cool. I was actually allowed to meet my paramedics. That's a legal thing here. They're not actually allowed to visit patients they've worked on after that happened, but just by the grace of God, um, they were like, we just had an inkling and a feeling that we should do it one more time. And that saved this boy's life. So we want to meet this kid. And, uh, it was really cool. I was in the hospital. They came up to my room and, and pretty emotional. They were like, Hey man, we're the ones that got to work with you and and deal with you and bring you back. And I was like, I don't know how to say thank you you guys, because I wouldn't be here without you. Um, So that was really cool. But yeah, that's a little bit about my journey. And obviously, that's kind of one of the reasons I haven't been back on stage since then. I mean, you that kind of stuff happens to you, I think you take some, I basically cheated death, to be completely honest with you. And uh, I was supposed to be brain dead and brain damaged after how long I went without oxygen. And I was in brain cooling. They basically put my body into hypothermia for four days. It was pretty crazy, but um, you cheat death like that, and it, it allows you to re reevaluate a lot of things. So, now that being said, I'm a very risk tolerant person. <laughs> so I was told I wasn't ever supposed to train again. And the second I got out of that hospital, I said, "Fuck you guys! You'll see. I'll show you some shit." Mm-hmm. Um, they wanted me on crazy amounts of meds, this and that. And over time, I just uh, completely stopped taking my beta blockers. And my heart kept getting better and better. I was very aggressive with my supplementation, as mm-hmm. you guys know, or we're educated in these realms. So I was like, well, I'm not going to take this over-the-counter stuff. I'm going to take some stuff, herbal stuff, that I know that actually helps and, and will manage this. And I kept getting better and better. And then finally I actually told my um, cardiologist and stuff, I haven't been taking your medications for like nine months, and you keep telling me every three months that I'm getting better. So I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um And they were definitely not overly happy. But at the end of the day, I mean, I was training, I was doing things, and I was healthy. So I ended up staying on TRT all the way through for the four (laughs) years after that and not doing much. And my goal had shifted because I basically said that I would never coach competitive athletes while I was a bodybuilder. Bodybuilding is a very, very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A selfish sport at the end of the day. And I respect anybody who does both. I know myself completely. When I go in on something, I go all in. So there's a chance if I was coaching somebody at the national level, we only have like two to three national shows here in Canada. And there was an athlete in my class or in my show. I'm sorry. My focus is on me. Mm -hmm. And that's the end. And that's just the reality of it. I was very aware of that, right? Like it's now, because my goal was to be a pro bodybuilder. My goal wasn't to be a pro bodybuilding coach at that time. My goal was to be a pro bodybuilder. So I did not coach competitive athletes soon as this happened, that shifted gears. Bodybuilding is my life. I care so much about it that I was like, okay, now I can help bodybuilders. And my first year coaching, actually, I was very lucky. Um, I turned to mm-hmm. Gentleman Pro and Men's Physique. So that's where it just kind of started to snowball for me. And that was actually under a different brand. That was Miller Time Fitness. Um, and through social media and stuff, I got to meet some people. And I was actually offered an opportunity by Matt Jansen to be a coach on Cap Jansen. Um, which wow. was incredible for me because Matt is somebody I've looked up to when I was bodybuilding and I was in university. I was the kid that did not pay attention in class. I was the kid that walked into class, hopped on muscular development, went straight to Dallas McCarver and Matt Jansen's blogs, where they would post his diet, post his training, post his food, you name it. And I'm starting to reverse engineer things and always just have this going, figuring out more bodybuilding stuff. Cause that's what I love. Um, so when that opportunity came, it was, it was crazy, but At that point, I had put a lot of effort and work into building my business and I was super proud. And there was just some things that it was tough to make sense of in terms of having to switch all of my clients' payments over to US dollars and this and that. So um, I ended up actually passing on that, which still to this day is crazy to me because I respect Matt so much and he's been such an influence on my life and somebody I just respect so much. But for me, it was more about like, listen, I've built this from the ground up. I see what you're doing. I actually want to be you. I want to be that guy in Canada. And I, I foresee myself being able to do that. Um, so a couple of days go by and uh, and it's funny, actually, Justin Mahaley had actually reached out to me too and, and said at the same time, because they were both working with this backend team that I didn't know about. Um, and Justin had kind of briefly mentioned me working with them as well. And then Matt had reached out and Matt said, Hey man, I see a lot of value in you and I want to help you out here. So I'm going to propose something. Let me know what you think about it. So he introduced me to my back end team, Tony and Steven, who basically um, it, it seemed like a large risk to me at, at first, because it was a large amount to pay up front. And I was giving up a percentage of my business to work with them, but basically they handle everything that's not coaching related. So they handle all of the back end stuff. They handle my website, everything. And, and I sat and I was like, you know what, man, I'll hear you out. If you think this is going to help me and grow me as a coach, I'll definitely hear you because I hate administrative stuff. I cannot stand it. I like coaching. I like physiology. Get that other shit out of here. Mm-hmm. So, hey, I fucking man. so I had that conversation with those guys and it just felt right. It was a really hard decision to make. Cause like I said, I mean, times were tough. It was COVID. I had lost a ton of athletes. I was only coaching. I was coaching a lot of lifestyle athletes. You're the first person to go when somebody's budget gets tight and they lose their job. So it was tight. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take this risk. So I did it. And that was the trajectory. It basically, they changed everything for me. We re- rebranded my entire team to Miller Elite. Um, I ran with that for a couple months and it was like, okay, it's time to bring on a coach. And I had some people in, in the pipeline who I knew for sure that I wanted to work with me. And, and not, I don't even like to say work under me. Cause I'm no, I'm no, I don't want to say that nobody's under me in this. We're a team, right? So, but one of my athletes, Tyler Toth, we took this gentleman from a kid that had a lot of potential, but was just not doing what he needed to do to looking crazy. He was huge. He learned, he picked things up on the go. And I was like, that's my guy. And uh, we brought him on and the team grew from there. And that's where I was able to eventually link up with guys like Anthony Spada and Dylan Fanof. We got Jordan. So some really, really cool things there had happened. And that's where Miller League really kind of just had its trajectory and, over the past few years, it's it's been nice. I mean, getting that team behind us has really picked up steam in terms of who we are. And now I'm going to, I get to help these guys. Actually, tomorrow, one of my coaches has his first athlete stepping yeah, on stage. Yeah,
0: Speda so, has Austin, yeah.
1: Yeah, so I'm really excited about that. And it's it's opened up doors for me that are just, I'm not really a guy, like I know Dylan runs one, my buddy Dom, a lot of people run these mentorship programs. Austin obviously runs one. Um, And for me, that's just, I don't get a lot of, I don't love that. I don't love doing that. I love doing them with people and learning more, but my teaching style is a little bit different. I don't like sitting in front of a PowerPoint and reading things and answering questions like that. It's rather give me a problem. And I'm going to help you find a solution. Show me an athlete right now. We'll help you find a solution. So that's where I had to talk with my team. Cause I started with our coaches. I did some of those PowerPoints and educated them on the gut and this and that. And it just, it wasn't, there was no passion behind it versus like, Hey, send me a problem. When you have something with an athlete, we'll walk through it and I'll tell you what to do or how I would handle it. And I'll make Mm -hmm. you generate your own free thought. So that's kind of what we've done now. And it's worked out really good. It's really cool. we got a great team behind us. So yeah, that's a very long winded version of who's Braden Miller.
0: I love that. What a fucking answer.
1: There you go. Now you know more.
0: I love it. I love it. Well, I mean, I know you just talked for like, a really long time, but I mean we we're having you on to talk about something that fires you the fuck up and honestly like I just want to hear you talk more. So obviously in the social media space everyone everyone has a fucking opinion. They're like assholes, right? Yeah. Everyone's got a butthole, but you know it doesn't mean you should be showing it and sharing it. But <laughs> there is the idea behind PED usage. And there are some people that are like if you touch a drug, you're just fucking stupid. Yeah. There are some people that are like, well, no, you can use, but you can have a safer approach. And then there are some people that are like, yeah, but if you use, you need to use to win. And then there are people that are like, oh, well, you need to be doing grams on grams, stacks on stacks, using straight out of the gate. Like don't even do TRT, just fucking hop on DECA and TREN and run with it for mm-hmm. you know a whole year. So your, your passion and where it kind of like the fire in your belly comes out of is talking and delineating between safer PED usage winning dosages and reckless PEDs and so I want you to dive into kind of delineating between each camp talking mm-hmm. about what are safer dosages what are winning dosages what are reckless dosages and just just running with it just run run like the wolf
1: for sure so my biggest thing is like and I actually stepped back on social media a little bit because it drives me like you said it just drives me fucking nuts mm-hmm. um, and I actually felt at some point like I was being biased by some of this stuff and like I was doing things that weren't a listing result. And it's almost like I was fucking moving backwards because I had all these voices telling me like, that's dangerous. That's dangerous. And it's like, listen, I have a fucking 270 pound bodybuilder here. He doesn't need to be on 400 milligrams a week. That's going to do nothing for him when he's ran 3.5 grams before. <laughs> right. So at first my logic almost took a little bit of a hit and I was like, Oh, this is what the guys are doing. And like I pride myself on being a free thinker and somebody who thinks for themselves, but, when you're consistently hearing these things, right, it, it can change you and shape you a little bit. So I actually noticed that and I was like, no, no, no. I gotta, I gotta get back to what I know works. Cause I know I'm not hurting anybody. I'm the guy who looks at blood work. I'm the guy who makes decisions based on what I see in blood work. I'm the guy who won't put you on cycle. If you have any kind of health concern or I'm worried about things. Um, whereas a lot of these guys are, are not even looking at that. Plus doing dangerous shit or, doing this, the safe stuff, but actually not being safe. Cause they're not even knowing how 400 milligrams of testosterone skews somebody's hemoglobin or lipids. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, I think, and, and I've talked to tons of people about all these things. I mean, there, there's definitely your Victor black, like we talked about your safer use models. Um, I'm a bodybuilding coach. I'm not a fucking lifestyle coach that wants people taking steroids to feel a little bit more alpha. As far as I'm concerned, that's what Victor blacks models do. Therefore, the okay. average person that wants to feel a little bit more alpha, and and I say that like alpha, it can be a male, female, doesn't fucking matter, but take things that are going to be ab- absolutely minimal risk, but allow you to be a little bit more ahead of the average person and get yourself a little bit of an edge. That's great. I believe slightly in... I mean, why even take that risk if you're just not ever going to do something like compete or whatever, like you're, you're taking a fucking risk that no matter what, you might screw up your fertility issue. Like, there's so many things that you can do long term, even with low risk models. So I've always kind of believed, like, if you don't have an actual reason, and maybe this is just an egotistical thing, I don't know, to use any type of performance enhancing drug, really have a conversation with yourself and ask you, like, should I be doing this? know what I mean? Because if you don't, like those are usually the people that are going out and drinking on the weekends and and X, Y, and Z, right? Like they're, they don't have their diet in check. They don't have their training in check. They're just using it to get a little bit ahead as like a shortcut. Um, huh. And for anybody that listens to this, that is the lifestyle person that takes some stuff and has all that shit in line. Well, you can basically treat yourself as a bodybuilder. then. I would call you a bodybuilder. Maybe you're not stepping on stage, but you're a bodybuilder. But For the most, that's not, that's not the case. So in my opinion, I just think yes sure absolutely there are those models that victor black preaches well victor black let's see your bodybuilders you're putting on stage winning shows i would love to see it let me see the bodybuilders you're putting on shows because i'll go through your instagram or you're just fucking blasting people for having wrong information and targeting people but all you're doing is saying that this is what science says well where's the fucking bodybuilders that are on stage showing me what science says unfortunately that ain't our world bro you're trying to come into a world you don't belong in you belong in the general health world helping people use some drugs to be a little bit of an elevated human say that then don't say that bodybuilders should be in this topic because bodybuilding isn't a fucking health contest Mm. we need to be healthy and we need to mitigate risk but it ain't a fucking who's the healthiest on stage. It's who's got the best physique because i'll tell you right now a judge doesn't care how many milligrams you're taking A judge will care if you look toxic as fuck and you have acne everywhere and you're bloated and you. a judge will care about that because that's going to show in your physique. But they don't care about what your lipids look like. They don't care about what your hemoglobin looks like. They care about the physique that's in front of them. And Victor Black, I'm sorry, you're not putting winning physiques on stage. You're not turning people pro and you're not winning pro shows. Now you kind of can take from that over to, let's go to the other extreme. We go to the other extreme, the other extreme being abuse. Um, and that's been around forever. Every There's risk-tolerant people. Like I said, I'm a risk-tolerant person, but I was smart enough to know that this is a fucking giant risk if I'm willing to just crank three grams of drugs right off the hall. Now, there's people like that. But I'll tell you one thing. When you get an experience like I get and you've died twice – you start to realize the value of life a little bit. Okay. And I'll tell you right now, like there was that kid in the news recently, I think a couple months ago, that was very abusive with drugs and ended up having a heart attack. And now he's speaking out against steroid usage. I guarantee you that was that kid was one of those risk-adverse kids that's just full throttle, out of the gate, abusing drugs. Right. And there's there's people that we know that health genetics are a thing. There's people that don't necessarily get the same side effects as others and and some of those people might actually be able to get around get away with three gram dosages without crazy crazy issues well 98 percent of us are not those people and like i said that kind of tails into recklessness because you don't value life and as far as i'm concerned if you don't value life there's some deeper shit that you need to dig into and you shouldn't have a fucking needle in your hand period Mm. So it's it's just one of those things and it's very easy, right? I mean, drugs are accessible to us, they're actually more accessible to Canadians than they are you guys in the States because possession of steroids isn't legal here, isn't illegal here in Canada. I could get pulled over with 10 bottles in my car and say they're for personal use, and I would not they would be like, Okay, have a great day. No shit. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Whereas like in the US, obviously it's illegal for possession of you guys, right? Like in Canada, obviously it's illegal to distribute. But right. we have so many people left, right and center. And there's so many labs left, right and center that it's very accessible. So these kids just see some shit on social media and they see that guy and they see this person post this pro cycle. that was three grams. And they're like, I want to look like that. I'm going to do that. It, it's absolutely insane to be completely honest. And there's still a lot of coaches doing a lot of that shit. Like they're combining fucking the craziest diuretics on show weekends and like pulling water to zero and shit. And it's like, that's how fucking, that's how people die. You are yeah. playing with people's lives. And I can only speak right now, realistically from the coach's aspect, but like that shit pisses me off because you're literally gambling with somebody else's shit. You're going to, if they die, you fucked up their mom, their dad, their husband, their wife, their sister, their brother. It's it's them that are taking the impact of what you're doing. That person has hired you for a reason.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So there's that side of things which are just like complete abuse. And I would say, honestly, I don't have a specific number to put on that because there's a lot of things that come into play with PED usage, right? Like we have to look at past usage. If I start working with an athlete who's been running two and a half grams, three grams for the last five years, I'm sorry. If I take him off for the next 16 weeks, fix some health shit, and maybe he's not even that screwed up, if I try to get him to progress on a gram of gear, good luck. You're probably not going to get nowhere. And well, here's what's going to happen. I'll spell it out for you. He's going to be frustrated and pissed off because he doesn't look the way he used to. He doesn't feel the way he used to. Mm-hmm. You're not going to have a solution because you're too fucking focused on not going above a gram of gear or whatever it is. And he's going to drop you. And he's going to hire one of these crazy motherfuckers that'll take him to three grams again and just blast him with shit. And now he's at a higher risk of then you you willing to turn that knob a little bit, understand the risk, have those conversations and get him to a better place. So that's where kind of that that medium risk or even I would say the high, that bodybuilding to win becomes the high risk model.
0: Yeah,
1: High risk and stupidity are not stupid things. There's a small percentage of people who will win at the highest levels in bodybuilding at a medium risk level. So like when I say medium, low risk, I'm talking low risk for a female. You're staying the fuck away from anything that has an androgenic pathway to it. Overall, you're going HRT route and nothing more than that. I know there's some females that use clambuterol as like a, a growth drug and all these things, but you're staying as fuck far away from you can as androgens. Males, your low risk is realistically going to look like a very low total androgen load. So we'll say five, 600 or less, probably I know Victor black models. I think he talks like 400, whatever three, 400, but he talks about, you can run that for year round. It's like, okay, understood, but that's low risk per se, right? Medium risk. I think we're getting anywhere above like that five, 600 to 1.3, 1.4, 1.5 grams. That's a pretty big risk still depending on the person. High risk is going to be anything above that that 1,500 milligram mark. Now, am I saying that everybody has to stay below 1,500 milligrams? Absolutely not. Am I saying Mm -hmm. that almost everybody winning at the highest level in male bodybuilding as bodybuilders in overalls winning fucking pro cards is probably taking 1.5 grams? I would almost bet my life on it. I would literally almost bet my life on it. But this is where the conversation has to happen between coach and athlete. What is the level of risk you're willing to take? Okay, we've had that conversation. Now, my job as your coach is to mitigate as much of that risk as possible. If you're not going to get blood work done, you're not touching fucking gear. You're going to get blood work done when I want you to get blood work done because you want to be a high-risk person, you're going to listen to what I say to the fucking T. And I used to go as far as to actually make me make people send me receipts of their supplements, that I so I could, and then it was just like, listen, you got to trust these people at some point. But it, it it's true, right? Because I mean, let's look at high risk drugs. Let's talk about DNP, for instance. If you don't trust somebody and you're putting them on DNP, well, there's some shit that could happen there. Insulin, same thing. If you don't trust somebody that knows what they're doing and they just get a good feeling from insulin, I'd give them some Hubolog pre training and they're like, I'm going to take four times that dose because that felt nice. Well, that's scary right? So that's where you have to develop those trust with people. And like I said, it comes down to having that conversation. What is the ultimate goal here? Okay. Do you have the genetics to be a pro bodybuilder? Yes. Do you have the work ethic and the stability within your consistency and programming to be a pro bodybuilder? Yes. You nail your diet every day. You train like an animal, you train smart. Perfect. You've shown me that repeatedly over time. Great. We can push the buttons a little bit here. What is pushing the buttons look like? Like I said, that might be, at peak dosage, 1.6, 1.7, 1.8 grams. I think when you're getting to 2.5, 2.3, that's pretty heavy. That That's a little – that's getting there, right? Like that's fucking – there's some shit that can happen here. So for me, it's it's realistically understanding that, okay, I'm sorry, this low-risk Victor Black bullshit, you're not winning shows get out of here. I promise you, you're not on the flip side. I think, and again, this is my opinion and my asshole. (laughs) Uh Um, If you're abusive and you're running two and a half, three grams of drugs, four or five times a year. Yeah. You're an absolute idiot as well. You're literally taking years off your life, but if you want to be a winning bodybuilder and you want to push things to a little bit next level, and you want to be the person winning at the national level, you want to be winning those tier one shows and becoming an actual national national level athlete, not placing one out of one in your show and putting in your bio national level athlete, you're going to have to take a little bit of risk. And for some, like I said, that might be medium risk. I don't think I mentioned um, female dosages. Yeah, please do medium and high risk. So um, for low risk, I did say like non-androgenic pathways, for females, I look at kind of the medium risk. And actually, this is something that I, I talked with um, Luke Miller a little bit about. And I know those guys were kind of like Luke and John were a little bit more biased towards the Victor Black model before, but I won't sue anybody here. But we had some conversations about those models. And uh, we see very, very similar in, in this sense. So um, I would say anywhere from in a medium risk for a, a female is basically going to be kind of going with those DHTs um, non-angiogenic pathways or or using some HRT and then adding in like maybe some DHTs Um, anywhere from like 40 milligrams a week upwards of let's say 100 milligrams a week or maybe 125 high risk is going to be anything above that anything above that you're talking high risk as a female, virilization all those kind of things very high risk Um, but again if your goal is to win on a national figure stage or a women's physique stage, I'm sorry, you're not doing that on five milligrams anavar a day, which that's 35 milligrams total weekly dosage. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, it's just there's there's I think it gets blown out of proportion on either end. And in my opinion, you got to find somewhere in the middle ground. And you have to be you have to be aware that there's going to be a fucking risk for sure. You need to mitigate that risk. You need to be educated enough to understand the risk and be accepting of the fact you're taking that risk because there's also a lot of people that are just fucking out to lunch thinking that running two grams of gear consistently, I'm fine. I'm fine. No, you're not fine. No, you're not fine at all. I guarantee you're not fine. Your blood is probably syrup. (laughs) So yeah, that's my long winded rant on my kind of, perspective of those things and obviously we can dive into more. I'm sure you guys might pick my brain a little bit on some other things here.
0: Yeah. I have a question when it comes to peak dosages and obviously like you want to do your due diligence as a, as a coach to do cycle mapping, listening to athletes feedback, like if they are, you know, enjoying like Prima versus Masteron, or like maybe adding in like NPP or something like that. But at the end of it, when you get to titrating up to their max dosages, How long are you running their top dosage? Are you looking at blood work top dosages after how many weeks? Like kind of let us into your mind, if you don't mind, about like escalating up in a cycle and then holding max dosages.
1: So again, I think that's going to really depend how deep we are in a cycle already before we Mm -hmm. hit max dosages, um, where the starting point was, right? Because for instance, let's say we're talking about somebody's first exposure ever, um, and we start at, I'll, I'll start with somebody that's never been exposed before. Mm-hmm. I don't let people just start steroids with me off the bat. You need to show me six months you can follow a diet and training 100%. No if ands, or buts. Um, especially if you're a young, young, like I have some 19, 20 year old kids, and they're like, I mean, I'm gonna do this. And I'm like, okay, well, here's what you're gonna do first. You're gonna show me you can work for six months and you care enough about this that you'll do this properly. And I've had some really great kids do it. And then it's like, okay, well, we have the conversation of, Here's the risk. The second you put that needle in you with testosterone in it, you might have to do that every day for the rest of your life. Are you okay with that? No, I'm not. Okay. Then we're not starting. Most people, they understand the risk. You have the conversation. Um, We have the conversation about cruising versus coming off and how cruising is actually going to be a little healthier for the Mm -hmm. the peaks and valleys of the brain, the heart, you name it. Um, But when it comes to somebody like that, I might not escalate their dose as quick because they're never been exposed. Right. So 150 milligrams of tea in a 20 year old kid might put him in a place where he's quite elevated and can get a lot of that for a long time. So he might not, that dosage might not change for 10 weeks. And then maybe I bump it up to 300 mm-hmm. and that dosage might not change for 10 weeks. So by the time I get to maybe his peak dosage is going to be 500 milligrams and I put some Primo on top of his test or 450, we'll say. By the time I get there, this gen this individual may have been on cycle already for 20 weeks. So in that case, I'm probably not going to run a peak dosage for 8, 10 weeks. Um, now, there's other individuals who maybe I do start them lower, but they're a bigger bodybuilder and they're more advanced, and I make larger progressions, maybe a little bit quicker. In that case, that peak dose might get hit a little bit sooner because I am time, trying to decrease the total exposure time a little bit, but that end, that peak dosage might be a little higher, and it'll be, okay, maybe we're going to run this peak dosage for eight weeks. And I have that scenario happening right now. And I know I'm okay with it because the gentleman I'm speaking about right now, and he actually posted this online, so I know I can talk about it. With his previous coach, he was running literally a gram more than we're running right now. Uh, And his current dosage is is not overly high, but he looks as full. He's grown more. Everything has gotten better on him this offseason than his past offseason. And he's running way less drugs. So I know for a fact, when he did that long-ass cycle at peak dosage from the gate for 16 weeks of high-ass dosages for this long, that I have some leeway to keep his high dosages, which are still a gram left, for this long. So it's really dependent on that. Um, But yeah, I think at the end of the day, it really depends on, there's there's a lot of variables to that. Sorry, I don't mean to kind of walk around your question in that sense. We have to look at the total length of the cycle when that peak dosage gets hit. We have to look at previous usage because, and then sometimes honestly, and this is a lot tougher in Canada, it's it's a lot easier for you guys to get blood work in the U S you basically mm-hmm. just have to pay for it, spit it out. Boom. You got it right. Canada, you have to go through a doctor. Well, if you just had blood work done four months ago, your doctor is probably not going to let you get it again. I actually mm-hmm. have some athletes right now who I have one athlete that I'll speak to and I don't need to say his name or anything, but he's 20 weeks into a cycle. Um, And his cycle has not been aggressive at all. It's not aggressive one bit. It's, it's a good cycle. And I based, I based his, I just hit his peak dosage. And I said to him, are you comfortable with getting blood work done right now? So we can see where things are at and literally make a decision on how long we run this for based on where you're at. Because if I'm seeing large skewing right now, we might ride this out for four weeks and pull you off because I know that that large skewing is going to be skewed a little bit more.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And if I continue that for eight weeks, etc., that's going to be a little more than I'm comfortable with from a risk management model. Now we got blood work done and his shit was fucking immaculate, like very good. And I know the gear is proper. Obviously there's a little bit of skewing, but nothing that I would be concerned about. And I'm like, okay, like I, I know that a, if I want to turn that knob harder, I can, And B, if I want to run this, turn it a little bit and run this for another 10 weeks and you're on cycle for 30 weeks, I could do that. Because at 20 weeks in, we're not seeing anything dangerous, right? And that's where, and will I do that? I probably, I don't think I've ever kept somebody on cycle for 30 weeks. Can you? I mean, if you're not seeing any negative health risks, inflammation's down in the body, there's no massive skewing in things, that's important. Look at that and make your decisions based on that. So I don't have a perfect answer for it, but that's kind of what I look at.
0: No, for sure. For sure. Can we talk about what skewing is? Like when your eyes, what would you, what would be red flags for you? We're like, yo, we got to wrap this shit up four more weeks and that's it.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's a couple things, right? It's like if, and I'll talk to one that I've seen recently, like if I start to see somebody's appetite take a down uh, a downtrend. Um. And so we're, let's talk about, Because most of the times for me, I'm not making these decisions based off of blood work. It's a very random place where I have an athlete. Because here's another thing. If you get blood work done and it's very skewed and you have life insurance, you can actually have that get screwed up by that. Um, Yeah, especially if your doctor knows that you're using PEDs, they put it on your file. Your life insurance can become fucking null and void now. So there's a lot of people that won't actually do it because if you're doing these things, like with life insurance, they look at your whether you're smoking, whether you're doing, how risky of a, of a client are you? And I mean, if you're taking PEDs, you're a risky fucking client, right? So I want to speak to more so the things that are recognized because a lot of people I'm sure even in the US aren't getting blood work done near those end phases of their cycle. They don't want to see the shitty shit, right? So appetite's a big one. Um, mm-hmm. usually that's a toxicity thing. And when s- systemic toxicity kind of trends upwards, especially depending on the drugs, a big one is trend. If if mm-hmm. you notice trend smoking your appetite, you're starting to get acid reflux more frequently. And that's something I see. There's some shit going on that says who your body's really not liking this right now. Let's pull it right. Um, injuries are a big one. If injuries start happening more frequently, Again, you probably have a level of toxicity and inflammation in your body that just can't be kept up with. So it might be time to pull it back. Sleep, blood glucose, right? A lot of the things we just look at for systemic inflammation are going to tell a story here. If I'm consistently seeing upward trends in blood glucose and we're 16, 20 weeks into a cycle and I haven't changed much. That tells me there's some systemic inflammation somewhere being caused by something that we have to address. Okay. Let's spend the next couple of weeks turning some knobs and figuring out where we can manage this better. Oh, it's not actually directly related to your water intake. It's not directly related to your sleep. These things are nails across the board. There's something here that we need to look for and we need to pull back now. So those are the things that I look for. Um, and then obviously if I have the chance to look at blood work, I'm going to look at P I'm going to look at lipid profile. I'm going to look at, all of those kind of things, hemoglobin, hematocrit. And again, I think that goes to depending on the individual. I, I like seeing baseline blood work to understand where somebody is at first, because at the end of the day, if somebody naturally sits a little bit higher on a hematocrit level or a hemoglobin level, well, I can't fucking expect that number to all of a sudden after they run a cycle to come down way below where it was previously no they're probably going to return to a high level so just keeping aware and managing these things and looking at the differences and the skewing from baseline blood work that's really important to me because i mean i can't just look at lipids and be like oh you're fucked up i mean i can in a sense in some degree but like there's natural people that are healthy individuals that don't have things that make a ton of sense on paper with blood work being perfect. And it's like, well, now if I expose this person to PEDs, these are probably going to skew a little bit more, but they were a healthy individual before this started. Mm-hmm. And that's just their, their baseline per se. But those are people that I would say you have to be a little bit more um, cautious with when they have some of these things, You you have to really, really make sure you keep an eye on it. But that's a big one for me is just keeping an eye on those baselines and kind of going from there.
0: I love that. That was a great answer. I think that's something that's really important, especially because like I stem from the functional health world and it's like bodybuilding is not functional health. Like, yes, you need to keep the person as healthy as you can, but yeah. if they're wanting to be the top, that is not, that. that's kind of like the concept of balance. Like there is going to be no balance. If you want to be the best, the best, like there's going to be some skewing. And so it's like, where are you going to draw the line when it comes to, you know, duration and usage and dose escalations and stuff like that with your athletes? It's not about no risks. If you want no risk, you know, okay, you guess you're going to be an average Joe or Jane, which is fine if you want to be that way. But if you want to be like best of the best, you've got to decide what you want. And I think you answered that beautifully.
1: A hundred percent. It all comes down to understanding, having realistic expectations, right? That That's okay. what it is. And, and being real with yourself. And knowing that, okay, if this is the goal you want, well, functional health probably is going to tell you this is a really bad thing. But Mm -hmm. fortunately, what you're telling me has absolutely nothing to fucking do with functional health at all, right? And it's it's few and far between where you have, and don't get me wrong, there will be the elite genetic specimen who can be a model for functional health and a winning athlete at the same time but that is literally one in a trillion.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Those sons of bitches. Ash, do you have any yep. questions for Braden? I don't think so. I just, I mean, I could listen all day. I just, I love it. I'm like soaking <laughs> it all in. I don't think I have any questions though. All right. Right on. I think that, I think I'm all tapped out. I mean, you answered, like I said, like the kind of the core fundamental things, you, you answered dosages kind of about, you know, letting us into your brain when it comes to escalating dosages and keeping people safe and kind of like what you were noticing in terms of biofeedback but that was awesome but braden i want to definitely like thank you so much for your time and you know coming on educating us educating our audience and also letting me share my story with you um in terms of your athlete nikki but where can people find I've, you and follow you if they want to learn more
1: so on instagram you can find me personally at braden miller fit b-r-a-e-d-e-n-m-i-l-l-e-r fit and then my team is at team miller elite um there's one more thing i wanted to mention actually i just thought about if it. you guys don't mind, yeah, go for it. It's actually, us. it's actually more so related to like choice of drugs too, right? And like timing and choice of drugs. So it goes beyond just when is the right, what is the right dosages, what is this and that. We have to understand the risks that come with certain drugs. So, like for me personally, again, this is my opinion. I don't think off seasons have a whole lot of benefit for using oral steroids because mm-hmm. orals are going to bring a whole new level of toxicity, um, have to be obviously um, metabolized by the liver, et cetera, et cetera. And they're just going to add a lo- little bit more stress. Um, I believe that usually the highest level of dr- uh, levels of drugs an athlete is going to take is going to be on their contest prep. And that's probably going to be where um, the more toxic drug comes into play. For males we're talking about halo testins made the end of a contest prep we're talking about maybe some anadrols or some super draws we're talking about um trend even i'm not a huge huge fan to be completely honest of trend in an off-season setting have i used it 100 at a low dose and when i say low dose i'm talking like 150 milligrams to manage stress and cortisol because it has a, a really good um, impact on cortisol right so There's things you can do in certain places, but if you're, so our drug, and this came to mind literally as we were speaking about this, because one of my close friends and I had a conversation recently about this, and he actually made a post about this. Equipoise, EQ, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, horrible fucking drug. Do not like it. Don't think it has any place or space in bodybuilding, and no bodybuilder should use it, and I stand firmly on that fucking mountain. There's going to be a lot of people probably upset with me saying that, that love the drug. I think it's stupid and useless. I think there's a lot of other drugs that can offer the same or better benefit with less risk. Why do I say that? Well, run Primo for 16 weeks and go look at your bloods. Tell me where your red blood cell count, your hemoglobin are. Because they're going to be fucking juiced. Now, go run some Primo balling. And run the same amount for the same length of time. And tell me where your red blood cell count or your hemoglobin are. And it's not going to look the same. Now, are they the same drug? No, but Primo is a hell of a drug in my opinion and thing, something like an equipoise, it just, I just don't find it has a place. Right. And, and going back to that, okay, well, are we just going to start hammering a Remadex and Aromacin to manage our estrogen in an off season setting? Probably not your best bet. We know that those have drastic effects on cortisol. Well, people are like, well, let's just use Novadex then. Well, Novodex comes with cardiac risk as well. So do some research and understand that. What can we do? Play around with your, your cycle design. Mm-hmm. And I know you probably know this already, but I mean, there there's drugs, Masteron, Primo, they do a hell of a job of actually managing E2 a little bit. So mm-hmm. if you know that you're somebody who aromatizes hard, instead of putting a drug in place that's going to affect you negatively to manage a negative effect of another drug, Let's use a drug that's going to actually replace that other drug. So what I'm saying that, let's lower our testosterone, the thing or whatever estrogenic steroid you're having issues from and estrogenic side effects from. Let's lower that so there's less aromatization. But we don't want to lower the total milligrams. So let's bump that total milligrams in a drug that makes sense that's going to help control that E2 better. Or if it's time to just progress the cycle, let's just add in a drug like Masteron. Now, again, is Masteron going to build tissue at the same rate testosterone will? Absolutely not. I will I, Again, it's not going to. I'm sorry, it's just not going to. But if you're managing your side effects better and you're not getting gyno and you're not getting all the acne and stuff you were, that's going to be better for you long-term, mentally and physically. So your total milligrams stay the same. Milligram for milligram, it might not be as strong, but you're taking away the negatives and adding in some positives, right? And same thing can be said with Primo. Um, some people, some people, Primo will manage E two very well. Some mm-hmm. people not at all. I'm one who, when I used it, there's it wouldn't do. I I have I'll have nipples like light switches if I do not manage my E two well. On low doses of test, on on 400 500 milligrams of test, I'm aromatizing heavy and I need to manage that. So for me, Mastron will do that trick. Primo mm-hmm. won't. Although it's probably my favorite drug to be honest with you. So there's a little bit of that that has to come into play too sorry, I didn't want to just sideline that and, and continue off after we were kind of basically done here. But um, yeah, that's I think that's a very important thing to talk about, too, rather than just peak dosages, is what's within those dosages, the drugs that you're actually using. Be smart about yeah. it. I personally have a selection of drugs that I like to rely on for males and females, because again, there is no fucking male or female steroid. They're all do the same thing. Just it's the dose that you need to look at. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, fuck. I could go on about that too because people just oh, there's bulking and cutting steroids. Well, what the? Oh my god, (laughs) (laughs) but But it's just like those are the things that I look at, and I'm just like some of this is absolute asinine, and you need to actually understand what's happening here. And I'm not saying at a molecular level you need to know every fucking thing about the structure of the steroid because I tried to go down that route, and then I realized what the fuck does that matter? Why do I need to tell this client that? this point on this molecule it was altered because this is there you just need to know what that drug is doing and how to manage that thing in a smart way and make the changes to what's in front of you when you see that thing happening so i'll cap it at that now
0: agreed agreed yeah i mean everything about that i do have just one quick question just for my thing because you answered you know you did such a great job kind of talking about managing estrogen but Will you ever use a touch of proviron to manage estrogen, or are you more just like, why add proviron when we could just, you know, lower test and add it like a Premobol or a Mastaron? Um,
1: do you mean in a male or a female? Male, male. Okay, male. Because <laughs> I was going to say yes. I have never put proviron in a female. No. Um, Dear God, I, I hope not. <laughs> so I've actually never, I've never used it to manage E two in a male. However, I have used it to lower like sex hormone binding globulin okay. and get more out of the, the drugs that we're using per se. Um, I really, really like Proviron at the end of a contest prep. Um, that's a drug that I definitely don't have. Um, I'll definitely push it a little higher than your your normal person was would. I think there's a really cool look to it. Um, and it can, it accomplish some really, really cool things. But I mean, again, I, I have put it in literally in an escalation, by itself, instead of adding more drugs to somebody's stack, I've put Proviron in to make the drugs they're taking more effective after things have started to kind of downregulate later on through a longer cycle. Um, never specifically used it for estrogen myself. I, I've really just honestly leaned a little bit more on Mastron and Prunbolin mm-hmm. for that role. And again, I'm not saying I'm somebody who never will use Arimidex and aromacin. Because I've also seen, on the flip side, some pretty wild shit being done with those, where people just get fucked up. Like, I'm not going to say the name of the person. Um, He's a pro bodybuilder that's a very, very well-known online educator. And he preaches master on use and i have seen him completely obliterate somebody's fucking sexual health left right and center he drives test too high off the hop and then he makes a massive fucking swap with master on and test so we go from libido being fucked because estrogen is way too high to libido being double fucked because now there's no estrogen mm-hmm. and just these flip-flops and like watching this for a span of 12 weeks when when i'm buddies with the guy he's working with and it's like who's also a pro bodybuilder, may I add? And it's like, what the fuck are you doing? Like at some point you just need to realize this is just downright stupid. And now you've had somebody feel like shit for 12 weeks, make zero progress, take a lot of risk. Cause some of these doses weren't super low. And it's yeah. like, now what you wasted, you wasted an off season and wait and fuck with this guy's mental health because his shit didn't work. For how long now? So in in those instances, and again, I'm talking about specific instances, if I have somebody who's a a very large bodybuilder, I might use a little bit of Arimidex or Aromacin at small dosages to manage G2 when those peak dosages are higher. But again, it's not. I'm putting it in specifically at a time, probably only during that peak dosage timeframe to manage it for a very small period of time. Um, So yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that, I don't have black and whites and X's and O's and like, never do this, always do this. It's malleable because it depends on the situation and the person in front of me. But when I do make a play and I do make a decision, I will have thought out why I'm doing it. And I can explain why I'm doing it. It's not like a refeed where I'm like, somebody's like, why are you doing it? And it's like, well, just cause I've seen your body enough by now that I know this is the play. And I know this is what it needs. This isn't, It's not a fucking educated guess at this point. It's like, no, this is what we have to do because I understand what's happening here. So yeah, that's a little bit on that piece. But do you use, do you use Proviron to manage estrogen?
0: No, I was just something where I was curious because obviously I've learned from, you know, the J3 models and I've learned from like Austin Stout and kind of like the the Victor Black realm. And so I just wanted to pick your brain because we were talking about, you know, DHTs. And obviously like we know Proviron is like, essentially just a GHT. So I was more just wanted to pick your brain about it.
1: Yeah. I uh, So there's that, because I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Victor Black actually speaks how Masteron doesn't manage E2. I
0: think that might be correct. I'd have to pull up the... uh, And and
1: that's one of those things for me. And again, I, I have nothing against the guy. I just don't think he belongs talking to bodybuilders in the way that he does saying that nobody should run over 400 milligrams. But as far as I'm concerned... If that's the statement he's making, and he sends me a bunch of studies saying, well, here's why Mastron doesn't affect E2. And I'm like, well, fuck, that's weird. How come when I pulled 200 milligrams of test out of this guy's cycle and replaced it with Mastron and then got blood work done and his estrogen dropped 10 points? Why did that happen when it was just a drug change?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, science doesn't say that can happen. Okay, well, it, fu- it fucking did. So <laughs> I-, I don't know what you want me to tell you. Like, there's, there's has to be a little bit of integration between anecdote and science here. And that's personally how I coach. Um, and there has been a lot of things, like I said, with social media and, and the community, I'm sure you have felt it too. Everybody's a functional health coach now and yada, yada, yada. And that's kind of biased me a little bit, honestly, away from the science side. Cause it's like, science only says so much. Rat studies only tell you so much. It's like, I understand that information, but at some point, I've also done this long enough now and I've worked with enough people that I've seen some things happen there and I have a, a great community um, coaches like yourself and people that I interact with online from all over the world that, that I talk to. And I have, I have some really good friends, even my coach, Cam, I met him online and Cam's a great dude. And we chat all the time. And Dom Kuza, like a lot of these people I chat with, even Dylan, like I said, Dylan didn't live in Edmonton. He's moving here now, but we would chat online about this stuff back and forth all day. And, he's done Victor black stuff. And, and again, he was kind of a little bit maybe biased towards that. And then we had some really good conversations and I think he's even changed his mindset behind some of this stuff because people take extremes and just run away with them. Right? Like even, even Victor black, he just wants everything to be under his name and he gets so mad when something is posted. That's the model that I made. And it's like, dude, you didn't make anything. You just told people to use less rugs. (laughs) like. at the end of the day, it's kind of crazy to me, but yeah, now I'm just, now I'm just bashing them. So I don't want to get to go there.
0: <laughs> all good. All good. Brad. we thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for educating us, for giving us a piece of your mind, letting us in to just kind of like how you think in your thought process. We cannot wait to see what phenomenal athletes you'll be turning out and also what phenomenal coaches you'll be helping just as you continue to add and expand. But again, thank you so very much for your time.
1: Thank you guys so much for having me. This was an absolute blast, and if you ever want to do it again, I'm available. Oh
0: fuck yeah, we will. We absolutely (laughs) will. We'll have to talk about like just with all your athlete success and everything like that. But Ash, anything else at your end? No, I just think it was really cool that we got like the encore. We thought we were going to wrap it up, and then we had. I know. Love it. My
1: brain, my brain, don't stop. I mean, I could go again if you guys want. (laughs) I'm just kidding. All right,
0: you guys take care of yourself, and we'll catch you next time, guys. Peace.
1: Thank you guys so much.
0: Adios.